Seven sleeps till Christmas. It's time to check your parents' cupboards for a Christmassy This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Are you my type? Jagged emulation and a brand new Amiga 2000. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hello, chaps. Uh, Dave, I have to say I've noticed a pattern with our with our story taglines at the start of each show. Your, your pun game is poor. Brand new Amiga 2000. Come on, we need we need the puns, Dave. <laughs> I know. I need a good. I, I couldn't think of one. I like a good pun. You know, I like a good pun. Yeah. I couldn't think of one. I will. I will have to try harder in 2023. <laughs> is that my New Year's resolution? There you oh, go. Yeah, we do game. need New Year's resolutions, don't we? Um, because when this goes out, it will be just seven days until Christmas. So it's uh, a Christmassy one. And I was talking to Chris before we started recording the show. So for those who are only listening on audio, Chris is wearing a Christmassy top, but it's not a Christmas jumper. So how, how do you do it in Australia? Because obviously it's your summertime, isn't it? It is hot, yeah. So generally, you get Christmas t-shirts, not Christmas jumpers. Um, and and <laughs> and slight confession, I went around the shops looking specifically for a Christmas t-shirt just to have on the show, and there was heaps to choose from from the ladies section. But Dave, before you start, no, it's not a ladies jumper <laughs> or t-shirt, right? Um, and there was there was next to nothing in the gents. Um, so this is actually a pajama top. <laughs> it's the only one I could find I liked. So there you go. Honestly. I'm presenting in my pajamas. <laughs> you don't know how much this I upsets haven't. me. In the show notes, I've got a line which just says, my boiler, give me sympathy, because my boiler has been broken for the best part of a week, so I've got no heating, no hot water. Um, the, the boiler man's in this afternoon to hopefully fix it. And you're sat there going, oh, it's too hot for a Christmas jumper. I'm wearing What's a pyjama top. Neil, Neil I'm, 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 is Dave in shorts? Shorts, I'm wearing shorts. shorts. Uh, shorts, I'm wearing shorts. shorts. It's too hot. And uh, hopefully the hum's not coming through, but the air conditioning is on, yes. Oh, away. <laughs> so go away. We might have to go down the beach Christmas Day because it does get a little bit too oh. sticky and hot, and we'll have a barbecue with some prawns and stuff. And, oh, oh. Yeah, it's a hard I, I do life. feel Christmassy, though, because Chuck I look out the window. The barbie. Um, if Meat. I look out the window, it is snowing. Well, no, it's not snowing. It has snowed, and the snow is all settled. So I've got fields of snow out the window. We've just had Christmas in the cave this weekend with the um, non-alcoholic mulled wine on the go because people have to drive to get to the cave, um, and the mince pies and the brandy cream and the, the Christmas music. So I'm feeling pretty Christmassy, even if I don't look it because I'm not wearing a Christmas jumper. I've got my heated hoodie on. Anyway, let's get on to some actual retro stuff. In, um, in I just thought I'd bring up some of our regular things. So auctions are quite a regular thing that come up on the show. So without going into the full story on auction watch this week, um, submitted by Dr. Local, an Apple One has gone up for auction. This one is hand numbered by Steve Jobs. Now, I don't know how unusual that is. I imagine the first batch or batches would have been hand numbered. Um, and uh, that auction is currently active and sitting at 241000 US dollars. Huge amount of money. I can see why, because, you know, this is like the very first super popular um, uh, home computer, really, isn't it? Um, alongside the TRS-80 and the PET. Um, well, I guess it was the Apple II, mm, so this comes slightly before that, doesn't it? Slightly before Was the that, Apple yeah. I super popular? It was popular. No, the Apple II was. The Apple II was, but yeah. the Apple mm, I, mm. I guess, was its its origins. Its, its roots yeah. showed it was Makes possible, sense, yeah. On Can It Run Doom Watch, um, a story's been submitted of a Christmas tree ornament hanging on the tree running Doom. 
So yes, a Christmas tree ornament can run Doom, we've learned today. And um, uh, on uh, last week's show, there was a comment left on the YouTube comments from a regular listener, the Rushton. Hello there. And they, they put in a request. They said, can we have Chris's alpha update each week? Um, so Chris, is it still working? <laughs> I drove it today. It's working as of today, but I do have to turn the air conditioning on to force the radiator fan to work. Other than that, it's fine. There we go. Alpha update. <laughs> Chris, how's your week been? Well, funnily enough, from alphas to jags, because I've been playing my jag. I mean, I actually got it ages ago, but it was put away for birthday slash Christmas. So I got it. My wife let me unpack it for my birthday, which was late November. So that's what I've been getting my hands dirty with. Also my CD32, actually, because I finally got a controller for that. So two consoles from around the same area I've been um, getting into, um, getting yeah. back into, did, should I say. Did you get an original CD32 controller or a third party? Yeah, Yeah. So well, I actually ordered both and the third party's still on its way, but it's the original one I've been playing with and I actually quite like it. It's, yeah, I don't know what all the hate's about. It's, it's not bad at all. But I've heard, depending on what guts it's got in it some are better than others apparently but this one this one's fine um i think um i think generally the the criticism is um aimed at the shape of it as much yeah. as anything um I, yeah i don't find it particularly uncomfortable to hold on to but yeah. then i don't usually play it for extended periods so maybe it gets a bit achy after a while i don't know might depend on the type of game i haven't tried to beat them up or anything like that yet i've just been um yeah. trying super stardust you know the what i would call an asteroids clone but there's actually more depth mm -hmm. to it than that um and that's that's quite enjoyable on it um but yeah just just a note for those listening do make sure you listen all the way to the end as we know you always do but this week's question of the week is a little bit special and i'll be explaining why some of us um have things wrapped up in christmas paper this year so that's yeah worth hanging out for i've just i've, I've just hold up my uh, my stocking <laughs> i'll edit in the i'll edit in the the, uh, the package a bit later or duncan will sorry i haven't got it here but, but nice. it'll, it'll all be seamless by the end of the show um dave how's your week been well my, my boiler broke so what i did was i i fixed it and then turned it back on again and now i'm nice and warm again oh really <laughs> great story dave it's great to be I warm, remember, isn't it, Dave? Yeah. I remember about two years ago, I had no end of plumbing problems in this house, no end of them, and Neil mercilessly mocked me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> How yes, do you feel about that now, Neil? Read what you say. I know, I know. Um, and all the problems I'm having, I, you know, I should have I should have foreseen them, really, because um, when we bought the house here, it was um, previously owned by a landlord who really didn't care about the house and put, paid as little as possible on, on the upkeep and the maintenance of it. Uh, and there's so much has been bodged. Like, the, the moment the electrics were looked at, they were basically condemned and the whole thing was replaced. You know, the moment the boiler's gone wrong and has been looked at, the, the boiler man's just like, why why would they have done it that way what what's going on so you know everything that gets looked at has to just be ripped out and started again so i should have known all of this before i was ribbing you all those years ago dave it always comes back to get you doesn't it well i i, I am still sympathetic towards lily she doesn't deserve that <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> on to housekeeping i am disappointed that i do not have a jingle yet I want a jingle I for say, housekeeping. Yeah. If someone else doesn't do it, I'm going to have to make you a jingle. Yeah. Um, I am delighted with the, the, the responses to the latest episode where I talked about the Amiga. I was quite worried I might upset people. I realized the Amiga is quite an, an important thing emotionally to people, but I'm 
really pleased with the the informative uh, responses from it, and um, I, 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 I'm really pleased how people have been uh, open about it and quite uh, honest and informative. People talking about the, the, the state of the Commodore and in terms of the banking and so on. So I'm really pleased with that. Have a look at last week's comments if you want to be informed. Um, and we are sponsored by um, Pixel addict magazine which i don't see which you can't find (laughs) dave just going back to the comments are you are you saying you're pleased about the comments because most of them were saying dave's right (laughs) there were not so much because they were not because there was so much oh chris has got it Uh, not not so much because they were saying dave's right although some were because there wasn't any angry or upset people in the comments constructive Uh, i I don't want to make anyone unhappy um so um Pixel Addict, I am less prepared today because I am horribly hungover. It was the Christmas <laughs> Zoom night from my works last night, so I am, a, I am a wreckage of a man. I can't wait to get this finished to go back to my bed, but we are sponsored by Pixel Addict magazine, uh, who are a monthly um, printed magazine, but you can also get it in PDF form. Uh, you can get it worldwide. Uh, it's a great read. Chris, have you had a look at it? Well, do you know what? Funny enough, even though it's in my hand here, no, not properly, not yet. But every time you say worldwide and it's available in Australia, I'm going to be honest, I always bite my tongue because I'm thinking, but it won't come to Perth because we are the most remote city on the planet. And this I picked up in a news agent in Australia, and that was such a fantastic thing to see. Yes, it had come all the way to Perth, and it was on the shelf, and I picked up a copy. So now the wife wants to take it away and make it a stocking present. That's why I haven't read it yet. But anyway, yeah. Well, if, if anyone the, is, is um, listening and not watching, is is holding a copy of Pixel Asic magazine, which has made it all the way down to the bottom of the world without falling off. What's the, the cover story? Because there's some nice artwork on there. What, what, what's that? The gaming difficulty curve. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, just That's the same nice, one you've um, got, isn't it, Dave? I think looking at yours. Yeah, I've got this one. Yeah. 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 It's just some nice Tron-like artwork on the front there. Mm. So anyway, yes, we thank Pixel Addict for for sponsoring the show. Um, if you want to find out more, you can go to pixel.addict.media where you can buy a digital um, copy. You can order online or check out your local news agents. Our first story shared on our subreddit this week comes from T Claw DM. So thank you for coming on to Reddit. That's reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. If you'd like to submit stories for our consideration for the show. And um, it's all about R type. It's something we don't talk about very often. Shooters, whether it be vertical or horizontal scrolling, it, it really doesn't come up in our conversations that much. And I'm guessing that's probably because of personal tastes in the genre and the genres that we like, but correct me if i'm wrong i mean you only just mentioned super stardust chris so where do you guys stand on shoot maps well i i would say it's more just the stories that are presented to us haven't been along those lines because i absolutely mm. love shoot 'em ups one of my favorite genres if all i need is a, a big joystick to waggle and a big fire button to bash as fast as possible and i'm happy yeah absolutely Sure. I, Dave? I, I love shooters as well, yeah. I, I don't play them as much because I get frustrated at my lack of ability and coordination, but I love a good old-school shooter. Not so much the modern ones with stuff busily everywhere. A good old-school 1942-style shooter. Love it. Right. So when we go into the realms of bullet hell, that's a, a bit too much for you? A bit too stressful, no, Dave? No, I don't like bullet hell. I mean, yeah. it's not the same thing at all. It's, no, it's, it's You're learning patterns. You're, you're, you're having to memorise which place to go at. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, a name that always comes up when we're talking about shoot 'em ups or should always come up is R-Type, and, and rightly so, because it's considered to be one of the best ever. It was released in 1987 by Irem. It built on the success of games like Gradius in 1985, and before that we had Scramble in 1981. Is Scramble considered the first scrolling shooter? Scramble's great. Yeah, Scramble there may well great. be earlier ones, but um, you know it is, it is an early example. Um, and R-Type is remembered for being a tough game. A tough game. It's also remembered for the Geiger-inspired artwork. The, the the Alien franchise was doing its thing, really heating up when this came out in uh, in eighty seven. Um, yeah, I guess we'd had Aliens by that point, hadn't we? By nineteen eighty seven, had the second one, and then there oh, was yeah. a big gap yeah. to the third one, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah. So um, you know that that was fresh in people's uh, minds, uh, and the, the iconic screenshot that I think many people will remember, not least because. I think it's on the box art of some of the home ports, is that level one boss with its long wavy tail coming all the way around the screen, trying to take out your your ship. It really is an iconic image. Now, R-Type was released for everything from the ZX Spectrum to the Master System to the Game Boy, but we never saw it on the Sega Genesis. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, just waiting for Dave's reaction to, to my what's, Sega pronunciation. What's a Genesis? Not, is that one of the... <laughs> oh, so it wasn't Sega that got you, it was Genesis. Sega, that's what it says when you load up. <laughs> that's when you load up um, um, Sonic Mario Brothers, isn't it? <laughs> or when you boot the system, isn't it? Wow, well, okay. So um, it never appeared on the Genesis Sega. Genesis is, is the... Mega Drive. Mega Drive. Yes, Mega Drive. Never yes, that's the right word the for Mega it. Drive. So I don't know the exact reason why the Mega Drive never got R-Type, but I'm guessing it would probably have something to do with it appearing on the PC Engine. Maybe Hudson acquired exclusive rights for it for a period um, when it was considered to be a current and a relevant game for the Sega Mega Drive. And then we would see it on the Super Nintendo with Super R-Type in 1991. So... I'm not entirely sure why the Super Nintendo would then get it a bit later on. Maybe the license expired. I don't know. If anyone can fill us in on that, I'd love to hear your thoughts. But the fact is, we didn't get it on the on the Mega Drive until now, kind of. Um, Andrea, now I'm gonna I'm gonna absolutely massacre this name. Andrea uh, <laughs> Bulderaggi, aka the Robo Z, the Robo Z. Um, has been working on a port for the system. Uh, he's the same person behind the Pico 8 version of the game, so he's already very familiar with it. And now he's taking on the challenge in a, quite an interesting way. What he plans to do is get the first four levels up and running, and then he'll release it as open source so that others can tweak, complete it, build upon it, and maybe even improve it, which is a really nice idea, I think. Um, a video of a rolling demo is on YouTube, and he hopes to make a playable demo of Level 1 available in the next month or so. So this is pretty imminent. And um, there's no reason why the Mega Drive shouldn't be able to pull this off and, and, and pull off a brilliant version. Um, and do you know who's good at this game? Are you guys any good at R-Type? Have you played it recently? No. I haven't played I, it. I, I, I'm, I'm okay-ish compared to someone who has never played it before. Um, not very good though. Um, yeah, yeah who's, who's good at it? Well, someone who is good at it is is coder, musician, demo scene legend Hoffman, 
So he was at the arcade uh, the, the other day for the opening day, a couple of a couple of weeks back now it was. And uh, we're very fortunate to have the original R-Type board here in the arcade, thanks to a chap named Alan Pope. So thank you, Alan, if you're listening, um, who bought that in for us. It wasn't working, but Richard was able to fix it up. And then Hoffman proceeded to absolutely crush the game <laughs> on the opening night. Um, he knows all the secrets. He knows all the techniques. He knows where to kind of hide, put the ship, what pixels to put the ship on so that nothing can hit you for certain periods of the game. He knows all that. And he was he was giving us a masterclass in how to play it. So that was fantastic. Anyway, R-Type specifically, any any love for this one, guys? Yeah. Uh, and it's funny you mentioned new shooter games because I was really taken with a new one that I saw on Friday evening for the Amstrad CPC called Hyperdrive. It's inspired by a game, Mission Genocide, which was a budget game that uses undocumented tricks to get 50 frames per second fast, smooth scrolling on an Amstrad CPC, which was unheard of. Um, And the new game is a cartridge game for the CPC, and it's a vertical scroller at 25 frames per second. It's really smooth. It uses a color palette. It looks fantastic. And it is my favorite type of shooter. It's a wave-based shooter. and it's quite difficult because you need to hit everything in the wave before missing one or two in order to get the power-ups. And if you don't get the power-ups, you won't keep up. So it's quite difficult. Um, but I, I prefer this type of shooter. I, I don't like the overly busy ones, the bullet hell ones, and the ones with all the flashing stuff and so on. I, I like Galaxy in 1942, that type of thing. Uh, and I also like R-Type because that's the type of shooter that R-Type is. It isn't too, it's, it's not excessive. Uh, I love the artwork in R-Type, the music. I love everything about it. It's, it's such a perfect arcade game. The, arc, the, the cabin in the arcade is great. And this Mega Drive version of it is really impressive. Um, the only thing I wasn't sure about was the remix of the music they've made. I think I might have preferred the original music, but maybe the remix will grow on me. Everything about it is spot on. I don't think you'd play this and say, I wish I was playing the arcade game instead. I think this is this is just right. Um, I always find R-Type hard, though, and um, losing a life in R-Type is a massive punishment because you then lose all the power-ups, and you do need to work out, and just what you're talking about with Hoffman, who is... Um, I find out a new talent that Hoffman has every day. Um, and you do need to work out which weapon works in which way and memorize where to be. Neil. Yeah, it has, it has that lovely system where you hold down the fire button to build up the uh, the, the, yes. the ray gun. Beam. I think the R stands for ray gun or something like that <laughs> in the name. And okay. uh, and then and then you get this big so it's blast not a Honda. that comes out of it. No, no, it's not a Type R. Um and uh, I was just thinking on it, actually, why why would Nintendo have got the rights? And actually thinking about it, Nintendo uh, produced the arcade cabinet originally. It has, it has, oh, it has okay. Nintendo on it. So perhaps Iron were using Nintendo for the distribution and creation of the arcade cabinets. Perhaps that's a reason, and that's why they got some preferential treatment on the rights over, over Sega. Just a thought. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you there, Dave. Carry on. No, I think that R-Type is the horizontal shooter, at least in my opinion. You think of a horizontal shooter, it's R-Type. This is the this is the one. And a quick look at this one, and I think this might be the best home conversion of R-Type. The original ST version that I got with my ST was a pack-in when I first got the computer, and it was decent. And someone was actually working in a homebrew enhanced version for the STE. The work in progress looks fantastic, but sadly the author board passed away before finishing it. And there's also a 10-year-old homebrew for the CPC. And it's as good as you could possibly hope in the CPC, given that it's a 1985 microcomputer trying to do a 1987 arcade game. 
Um, but yeah, th- th- this is this 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 Mega Drive version is incredible. Hmm. Chris, any thoughts on R Type? Yeah, I think mainly I only played it on the Spectrum, but hearing you mention the SNES version, um, I reckon I would have played that as well. I don't remember playing it on the Amiga, but funny, I never played it in the arcade, I know that. But what I did play in the arcade was there's a, there was an R-Type clone on the Neo Geo um, cabinets called Last Resort. Have either of you played that? I have, yes, yeah. Not on a cabinet, but just through emulation. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely love that game. So um, the arcade in Tunbridge, which was next to Woolworths, that's where I'd go to skip classes from college, which was in the same town, Um, hang out with my mates, hang out with my girlfriend. If we weren't playing Street Fighter 2, I would be on that cabinet. It was right at the back, tiny little one of those dodgy, narrow arcades that's mainly really dark, full of fruit machines, and then just a couple of choice arcade machines. And I'd just sit down on this one particular one that had you know, just a selection of four games on it. Last Resort was one of them, and I'd just play that over and over again. Absolutely loved it. So I got quite good at that because I was always spending limited money. (laughs) I'm just looking at the arcade flyer for Last Resort, and it says at the top, Neo Geo's 31st release. So that gives you an idea of where it came in its lifetime. And then the strap line across the front of it says, Scramble to Shooting World. Scramble to shooting worlds. <laughs> so they've they've got the word scramble into the title there. Nice. Um, I don't know if that was a, a conscious effort to get the word scramble in there or just a coincidence or a translation thing because scramble to shooting world is, is terrible mm. English. Um, but yeah, there you go. Just interesting that the word scramble is in there. And there are, it's a very R-type looking game, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. There's no yeah. question about You've it. You've even got the weapons pod that you move around, you know, just like R-type. It's Yeah, it's crazy. But just moving away from our type, Chris, shoot 'em ups in general. I think you bring up the genre more than any one of us. Even even though we don't have the stories always to talk about, you always slip a, a shoot 'em up name in there from time to time. So am I right in saying you have played a lot of them? I have played quite a few, yeah. So yeah. just to rattle off, um, like I I do take the opportunity to mention games that Chris has played. It is true. <laughs> um, so, but funnily enough, I prefer vertical scrolling shoot 'em ups for some reason. So things like Flying Shark, which I played on the Spectrum, Hybris on the Amiga, fantastic game by the same people, Battle Squadrons also on the Amiga, um, brilliant game, very similar to Hybris, but you can have two player in that. Swiv, I think everybody loves Swiv, such a nice weight to that um, in terms of the sound, you know, the the impactful hits when you actually um, take out the enemies and stuff, The just the, the contact and the sounds are just right. And then there's a really bizarre one that I do like to bring up called Dragon Spirit, which it's not the only game that does this, but it's, it's a vertical scrolling shooter but you play a dragon rather than a spaceship or a plane or anything like that. And when you get weapons power-ups, you actually get additional heads on your dragon. So if you've got like three-way shooting, you've got three heads on your dragon. And then that also acts as a kind of shield because um, when you take a hit, you'll lose a head. Uh, so that's when your, your your weapon system goes down and before you actually lose life. Um, but obviously the best shoot 'em up in the world is, um, is this one, um, which is game one. <laughs> that I made for Rich on Shoot'em Up Construction Kit. But yeah, no, absolutely love them. Absolutely love Shoot'em Ups. Excellent. Yeah, Dragon Spirit was uh, 87, so same year as R-Type as well. So, you know, the, the, nobody's accusing Dragon Spirit of copying R-Type. It's a completely different game. It's a, yeah. it's a vertical scroller. Um, you mentioned Swift. Um, I, I, I tend to pick Silkworm, its predecessor, over Swift. It's interesting. The side-scrolling. Yeah. I, just, I just like the feel of that better. And it's I'm not I saying Swift's a bad vertical. game. I prefer the vertical. It's really weird. Yeah, it's just a preference. And Battle Squadron, I seem to remember, has fantastic music. Mm. Am I right? As does Hybris. Does. Yeah. They both do. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, really great. So, you know, I don't play a huge number of shooters. I do have a soft spot for Silkworm, as I said. Uh, Gemini Wing is another one which I have a soft spot for, and I'm really pleased that we've got that in the arcade to play. Um, fantastic music on that as well. I mean, uh, shooters have got to be one of the genres with the greatest music soundtracks because you've got to have that thumping soundtrack to speed you along in the game, haven't you? Um, and Silkworm and Gemini Wing... They're good games. They're not particularly the, the best games, but I just have fond memories of playing them because I've attached that those nostalgic feelings to those games in particular in that time and those places. So that's why I like those ones. But um, there is another shooter, while we're on the subject of shooters, that will invoke a lot of feelings. And I mentioned this because it was a topic of a video recently on YouTube channel Rose Tinted Spectrum. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And he picked apart a wide range of opinions that surround this game. He, he used Twitter. He used Twitter polls to, uh, to to do what he called science. <laughs> Slightly inexact science, but, you know, it was more science than any of us have done on this game um, to, uh, to get comments, to get feelings about a game which scored 100% when it was reviewed in Amiga Computing Magazine. So undeniably, it's the perfect game, got 100%. And that game was Xenon 2. Now, um, yeah. Now, personally, I think somewhere in sort of the 70% kind of range is probably fair for this game. Dave's still shaking higher, his head. Higher. You think higher, you think higher. Yeah. In the context of its release, 1989, it was easy to be blown away by the uh, the cool bomb the bass music, the visuals, but plenty of a better Amiga shooters would come along in the following years. Um, th- I, I guess there just wasn't a huge amount of competition for it on our platform. Sorry, I say, oh, Dave, I've swept you up there and said, oh, as, as an Amiga owner. <laughs> it was on the, the ST. The, 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 the ST version of of it is is almost the same. There's only, the only real difference is that on the ST, you get a chip tune instead of the mod tune, and on the ST, the, the mod tune doesn't cut out when you shoot things. So it's, other than that, yeah. the very, very same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so on the Amiga, you lose channels from the music when you shoot because it has to make Weird room choice, yeah. for the sound effects. Yeah. It's, it's, it's odd. Yeah. So it, it's not the way, only I game to the... do that, but yeah. yeah. No, it's not. Yeah, yeah. But um, I guess the, what I'm trying to say is I see Xenon 2 as kind of the, the shadow of the beast of shooters at the time. It was great mm. to put on display in a shop. It showed off the technical abilities of the Amiga very well. I didn't think it was a great game to play. Um, less so in the modern day, you know, I made excuses for it back in the day and said, yeah, okay, this is an all right game. But when you go back and play it now and you compare it to the likes of R-Type, to Swift, to Battle Squadron, to Gemini Wing, to name any other shooter, horizontal or vertical, Xenon 2 doesn't really keep up with it. Um, mm-hmm. Discuss any thoughts on Xenon 2? Because Dave, you're shaking yeah. your head a lot and I don't know if that's the hangover or if that's <laughs> what I'm saying about Xenon 2. <laughs> No, by, by by the abuse you're heaping on Xenon 2, you've made me forget about the hangover. Um, Xenon 2 got a bit of a pasting in um, in that video. Rose Tinted Spectrum has, I mean, it's an excellent video. There's not one thing, single thing he says that's wrong. Everything he says is correct. But I still think it's great. Um, I think these days we tend to dismiss the hype and so on. In fact, Neil, you did it yourself there when you're talking about the, the music and so on. You shouldn't do that. We shouldn't strip all that away. You can't just start taking bits away and the, the context of the hype, the the, the game, the, the, the adverts and the, and the things and so on. Neil? Well, I did say in the context of the day it was good. But yeah, yeah, well... Um, I'm not specifically talking about you, but when people talk about, oh, will you take away the music and so on, don't take away the music. Put the hype in there. Make it the, 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 the whole bombastic Bitmap Brothers and 
in Casey's psychosis and a similar similar thing going on with their games. That all matters. It all adds to it. I think uh, it's a great game subjectively, while objectively the gameplay isn't great. I think that the the the, the sum of it. I think um, it's objectively bad and subjectively good. Or if you want to put it differently, it's far greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. But, Dave. Dave. But I. I get oh, if someone was to look at it now, having not played it before, I don't really understand what they would get from it. But for for me, because I had it on the ST back in the day, blew me away with what it did. I'd never seen another ST game that did as did what Xenon Two did. Yeah, I think it's great. Hmm. Chris, any thoughts on that? I think it is. Well, I think I think we should change this title to this story as um, the title should be Chris and Dave agree on a thing. Um, because <laughs> I'm just nodding away to everything Dave just said there, even though I obviously played the better version on the Amiga. Um, but um, the, the comparison with... The better version is on the Atari STE. The STE version is the best version. Okay. Continue. Yep, yep. yep. Anyway, um, Chris and Dave almost agree on a thing. Uh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> so uh, I think the comparison with Shadow of the Beast, even though they're completely different games, is spot on because it is that. Shadow of the Beast gets a lot of flack and, and gets called a tech demo, and that just riles me right up because that is actually what made it great. It showed off what the systems could do, and there was a playable game in there rather than just this passive rolling demo, which was what the demo scene do, you know, instead of making games. So... They're both great. Uh, the funny thing about Xenon 2 was if you played the um, the free demo that you get on Amiga Format, for example, it was absolutely fantastic because they actually threw all the weapon upgrades at you in that first level that you got for free. Mm. And so actually it was a lot more fun to play the demo than it was to play the actual mm. game because the actual game is actually quite hard. And funnily enough, even yeah. though it's one of my favorite titles of all time, I haven't got very far in it at all. I've certainly gone a lot farther in things like Hybris, Swiv, and Battle Squadrons. Um, I've played them to death. Xenon 2, you play it, you love it, you listen to the theme, the opening theme tune by Bomb the Bass, um, Mega Blast, and then you, you have a you know quick 10, 15 minutes of fun, and then you turn it off and play something that you can actually get through. <laughs> so, oh, there we go. Well, we're drifting far away from our type now, but maybe we need another story just about... If anyone wants to submit some Xenon 2 stories to get us chatting about that, I'd love to go into it in more detail. Chris, you've got a CD32 recently, mm. so what I would like you to do is get hold of the CDTV version um, because you can run that on the CD32. And I did not the know main- that. Yeah, and in the main menu, there is a special version of the game. And I don't know what's different about it. On the CDTV and on the Sharp X68000, you can play normal game or special mode. So I'm actually writing this down because I will forget your name yeah. by the time we finish recording. Yeah. CDTV is in on two. I did not realise you could do that. And worst case, I could yeah. play it in emulation anyway. Fantastic. And it plays maybe the soundtrack. Maybe that's the better version then. Maybe I'm wrong about the STV, STE version being the best. Maybe the, the CDTV I'd imagine they fixed the problem with the sound on it. Well, that's what I'm hoping, Dave. I'm hoping what they've done is use the CD music side of it to play the theme so that you don't lose channels. That's what I'm hoping. That's what it does. That's what it does. So it's actually stressing the machine even less because it's not having to play the mod file. Mm. So there you go. Anyway, um, R-Type. We were talking about R-Type. Keep an eye out for R-Type on the Mega Drive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a a proper shooter on a system that really should have got a version back in the day. So now that injustice has been corrected, all the links are in the show notes and we will be watching with interest. 
So quite a while ago on This Week in Retro, we discussed at the time uh, soon-to-be-released Atari 50th Anniversary Collection um, that was being released on pretty much every system available. Um, did either of you pick it up, actually, before I go on? No. I um, didn't, but Alex down in the arcade will not shut up about this thing on his Switch. He is absolutely in love with the 50th anniversary release. Yeah, ah, Fair enough. I haven't picked it up either, but I've, I've stuck it on my Christmas list, so we'll see what Father Christmas brings, and if he doesn't, I'll do what I always do and buy the things I wanted anyway myself. Um, but one of the special things about the collection is the inclusion of Atari Jaguar games, which hadn't been done before in terms of official releases. And the reason is, apparently, is that the Jaguar is very hard to emulate. Some games really don't play ball. Well, the man behind the magic of making it work in this collection is a guy called Rich Whitehouse. And he is the brains behind the Jaguar emulation on the project, from my understanding. And uh, and with full permissions, he's actually been able to release a standalone Jaguar emulator for PC called Big P EMU. We'll put the link in the description to Rich's own video on the emulator where he gives a full tour. And I have to say, you know, with emulators, you're usually looking at, you know, very Windows look if you're obviously using it in Windows. You know, all the drop downs make you feel like you're in Windows because it's just another Windows program. Not a lot of thought goes into the interface when you're actually setting up the emulator. I'm thinking of things like WinUAE and that kind of thing. Um, but not here. This is actually very, very polished, and it looks stunning, um, and it boasts 100% compatibility with the full Jaguar library, and it has a really slick... Yeah, it is very impressive, and it has this really slick graphical user interface that just looks like it's running on a console more than a PC in terms of presentation. Um, Neil, have you, have you seen this at all? I've had a little skim through it since you shared the link with me and, and watched it. A um, couple of things jump out. Uh, not, nothing major, uh, but the, the one that jumps out for me is that the, the joypad, of course, on the Jag had a numpad on it as well as the usual D-pad and buttons. So mapping of those looks interesting to say the least in the emulator yeah so chris is holding up there um a joypad uh joypad with an overlay for some game what, what's the overlay you've got on there where did you learn to fly oh okay <laughs> cybermorph <laughs> so uh chris has got the cybermorph ob- overlay over i think it's 12 buttons three six nine twelve uh, buttons it's 11 is it uh, go on do the math chris no it's not 11 no it's 12 <laughs> he did the math 12 buttons there um so how how do you replicate that using a modern joypad and well if you look at the settings on this video they're doing things like mapping the right shoulder button and the left trigger when pulled together well that will get you number nine on the joypad on the on the numpad so that's going to get messy pretty quickly and so i think i think the first hurdle of jag emulation is not the emulator itself it's, it's a suitable input device um i don't know if there is a usb adapter for a jaguar joypad or not out there um who knows or a replicated Maybe you could ask jagpad. people in the building to make one for you Maybe, hmm. maybe. <laughs> I'll have a word. Um, if you could just knock that up for us. Uh, the front end itself looks nice. Like you say, it's very much inspired by console dashboards, very easy to navigate. Uh, the list of games comes up with thumbnails for their covers, which is a pretty standard expectation these days. And I like that it's not trying to be too flashy and play preview videos or give you too much information. It's just a nice, easy thing to navigate. A huge number of options in those menus that, so, you know, I don't know if it would benefit from an advanced and a basic mode to hide some of those options, but they're all there. And uh, the emulation itself, once you get into a game, I saw Alien versus Predator running. 
it looks good. It runs as smoothly as a real Jag, if not better. Um, yeah, it, it looks good. There was even options I saw to record and playback videos of yourself within the emulator uh, playing. So, yeah, it, it seems like it's a pretty mature and advanced emulator going on there. Uh, the only thing that you've got to do now is play the game of hunt the games that are actually good to play on the jaguar chris oh that's actually that's actually a very fair point well i, I think it's the best way to play amiga 500 games actually because they're, they're cartridge based. there's a lot of ports <laughs> there's so many yeah. ports there's so many ports but yeah in terms of the interface and and the options in this emulator i mean it, it really does go through in detail in the video don't expect just some emulated gameplay it's full-on about what you can actually do within the system and how we've presented it um so of course as we're used to these days you've got overclocking and underclocking options but for all the chips individually um, that the jaguar has um, you've got options for power versus ntsc and obviously you know making sure you're using the correct aspect ratio four by three or i chop your fingers off but yeah in terms of the controller you, you do raise a good point neil because it that was actually and this was why i love the atari jaguar controller when it first came out was you know the snares had six fire buttons and a d-pad and then the jaguar came out with with heaps more buttons because of that numeric pad down the bottom and everybody's looked at it like it's a bit of a stupid controller but when you look at a modern controller like the ps4 you've only just got around the same number of buttons as the jaguar controller had way back when true but they're not laid out like your grandmother's telephone yeah so what this emulator does is you can actually you configure you you can there's a pre-mapping but you can you can reconfigure the mapping and what it will then let you do is you can actually bring up a translucent overlay whilst playing a game in case you need a bit of a reminder as to where you actually configured all those buttons. Keep it in mind, this is on a PC, so you could be using keyboard as well um, to play the games if you wanted to. And the other cool thing you can do, obviously we're used to thumbnails to choose your game, but what is also incorporated is the option to upload graphics for the Jaguar controller overlays. So if you're playing a certain game, when you do bring up that translucent memory, you know, um, a picture of the Jaguar controller, if you've loaded the image for it, it will actually have the, the, the correct gameplay overlay as well, which is a really nice touch. So what we need now is a way to link an iPad up to it. So you can have your iPad on the desk and that's your your 12 button overlay and then a normal joypad and you can just reach up and jab the iPad. There's perfect. the solution. Perfect. That's perfect. That's the easiest way to play games in 2020, <laughs> surely. Anyway, look, if only we had an Atari fanboy in the in the room who, you know, we could see what he thought about the project, but we don't, so that's the end of the story. Okay, go on then, Dave. Go on, chime in. <laughs> my favourite Jag is my car. Oh, here um, we go. I've got a Jag. No, I won't, no. <laughs> um, the Atari 50th thing left out the Atari ST completely, as far as I know, which is a weird thing to do. Maybe they think thought felt that the if they put the ST in the Atari ST in it, it would overshadow everything else and make everything else kind of pointless. Neil, well, I don't know what happened because obviously, uh, and I'm not attacking it. Um, <clears throat> obviously, the Atari microcomputer division split away and became yeah. its thing. So maybe licensing is just a bit different for yeah. some of the things. And also third, lots of third parties were making games for the yeah. um, for the Jag. I, 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 Whereas, it, it, yeah. Yeah, go on. Yeah, the, the Atari didn't make that many games for the Atari ST. In the, in the early years of it, they ported some of their own arcade machines across, and they, they were great ports, but the, the, the rest of the Atari ST history wasn't really console-type uh, stuff, so perhaps that's why. Um 
but I am interested in the in in the 50th thing. I will get it at some point. I I feel like I want to hear the history of the the rest of the Atari line that I don't know so much about. Um, and the emulator, this emulator looks fantastic. Um, but I I couldn't see a PC, a physical PC release of the Atari 50th thing. It seemed to be like for the PlayStation and for the the Xbox and for the uh, the Nintendo Switch. So I, I don't know if there is a PC one that I just have not I've not seen. You know, you can get it in Steam, but hmm. um, I would like to point out that given that we've covered Atari quite a few times over the years on this week in retro, this is another example of the kind of Atari story that we really like because we had that whole yes. period of Ataris opening a hotel, Atari and crypto, crypto. Atari and oh. gambling, and all of this stuff. You know, casinos. <clears throat> We're starting to hear more stories like this. And another one that's come up recently is that Atari have resurrected this arcade game that they made back in the day that was never released because apparently it was too hard in playtesting. It was called mm-hmm. Akka R, A-K-K-A space A-R-R-H, Akka R. Um, so they're, they're going to re-release this and they're, they're redeveloping it now with Jeff Minter. So obviously it's going to be a super trippy game and mm-hmm. um, we're going to see that come back to life. That's a that's another brilliant Atari story, and and this just feels really nice that they're doing these kinds of things. So, you know, we've knocked Atari in the past, new Atari in the past. So, well done them for doing what they're doing now. I want to see more of it. Yeah, and I, I, I am relieved to be talking about Atari without having to feel embarrassed about it because I think the there was a period where, as you just said, the the, the legacy of the, these wonderful wonderful early consoles. And arcade games, and then the Atari ST was ruined by money grubbing hotels and crypto and gambling. So I'm glad that the 50th thing has been so well received. Um, so I will look into it at some point. But as far as the Jaguar emulator is concerned, it's really impressive, and it? It, it looks great. It 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 does all the games. That hopefully means if people make homebrew games for the Jaguar, there's more incentive for it to do it because there's a, there's a wider audience, and it's a powerful machine. You can make some wonderful homebrew on it. Um, and as for the Jaguar, I've not played much with it because I, emulating is, is difficult, but there's Towers 2, uh, Alien vs. Predator, Tempest 2000, uh, and I'm told that if I ever want a top-tier console platformer, then Rayman is where to go for that on the on the Jag. Iron Soldier um, so as well is amazing, sorry, just to chime in. Yeah, mm. and, and the actual look of the Jaguar itself. I've read some people saying the Jaguar looked terrible. They're, they're wrong. The Jaguar looks great. It's fantastic. How could you not like that? Um, well, yeah, it does have that kind of toilet seat aesthetic to it, doesn't it? But Dave, as, a, as an Amstrad fan, um, there's also <laughs> the, uh, the the Jag homebrew library to dip into. And the Jaguar did get a homebrew release of Switchblade. So imagine that. You, could have, you could have Switchblade on both your Amstrad GX4000, another fine-looking console, mm. sat next yes. to your Jag. You could play on both of those, your two top consoles. The only two consoles that anyone would ever need. <laughs> I agree. Actually, the GX4000 kind of looks... They both look spaceshipy. That's a that's nice. That's a nice pair there. Um, oddly, when I first heard about Jag games being included in the 50th anniversary collection, I was actually a bit miffed as I'd literally just shelled out for my Jaguar and they're not cheap now. Um, but there's actually no logic to that. You know, I happily use Amiga emulation in many forms and I still have and enjoy the original hardware, and it's not impacted the prices at all. In fact, I wonder, you know, in some ways, maybe it actually helps drive up the prices as more players come back to the fold. 
Plus, JAG games are really hard to get in your hands now, especially if you want box-complete copies. So again, emulation and just being able to download a ROM or an legal backup um, is you know the easier way to get your hands on them so even for me you know both the official 50th collection and this standalone emulator are welcome additions looking at rich's channel he's actually got quite a few cool projects under his belt um, so we'll include some links in the show notes uh, to the story uh, about this project on retro rgb which is by bob and it was shared with us by into the vertical blank um, uh, and but we'll also include some Fantastic links to Atari podcast. Oh, is it? And into Vertical Blank, they, they, their Atari podcast, ah. absolutely fantastic. They're really into their Atari. Well worth a listen. Okay, I'm going to get. I have to get on board with that now. Okay, yeah. But we'll also include some links um, to Rich's channel, his website, and his Patreon as well. All the best, Rich. A brand new Amiga 2000, uh, and I'm sorry if I bore you all with being such an Amiga fanboy. Um, all I talk about is how much I love the Amiga. Uh, but this is a really worthwhile submission from Reese. Now, Control Alt Reese, as everyone knows, is also an Amiga fanboy. Now, it's of someone I know called Glenn, um, who runs a channel, Casual Retro Gamer, CRG, and he's from Neil's Neck of the Wood in Northern Ireland. <laughs> and what he's done is taken a pro. <laughs> now, now, don't laugh. Neil is Neil. Neil is uh, Neil's dad is from Northern Ireland. So he, ha- he has this a link true. to Northern Ireland. Oh, okay, this is true. okay, yeah, yeah. You don't tell from his accent. Now, what he's done is taken a project by uh, Jason Neus, which is to reconstruct an Amiga 2000 mainboard, but in an EATX form factor. So the original Amiga 2000 um, motherboard. It's not a million miles away from the basic shape of the the ATX, but this is proper EATX in as far as ET EAT. How many times am I going to say EATX? <laughs> EATX is can never be proper because I don't think it was officially. I think there's something unofficial about it. Just go with uh, well, he's e- got it. ETX. 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 <laughs> now I'm hungry. Um, it's in that proper form factor with holes in the PCB for the right places to mount it. So that means you can put it inside a normal PC case, which is a bit like the BBC Micro story from last week. Mm. So what Glenn has done is, done is get a hold of this project and with a combination of custom chips harvested from an Amiga 5000. Amiga 5000? No, he hasn't. 500. Amiga 10, 10 million. <laughs> Amiga 500 plus with a damaged board and new components that are still available and modern recreations of unavailable components. I think it's a, a it's, it's a, what's, what's the bluster called? What's the recreation of the bluster called? Bluster. Bluster. Yeah. Bluster. Yeah. That's the one. That's the one. A bluster. Mm. He's, he's built himself a brand new A2000. Now, Neil, you've done a similar project, haven't you? Yeah, that was the Amiga 500 Plus Plus, the beautiful purple board by Rob or Peepo UK. Uh, and that was a replica of an A500 Plus, but a like-for-like replica of the motherboard. So it was designed to go back in the original case um, or a case that could accommodate that. For example, the Checkmate or the check, yeah, not the Checkmate Mini, just the full-size Checkmate case that came out. Um, so that's what that was. And th- these projects are great. They're really useful for people who want to enjoy an authentic but reliable experience with old hardware. Yes, they depend on transplanting original custom chips over. So, you know, those are old chips. They could fail. But you've eliminated a lot of old silicon just by replacing the main board. And you've also given yourself a form factor that can go in a new case with a modern power supply with 
you know, all your cooling fans in there. Not that an Amiga needs a lot of cooling, but, you know, it's always nice to keep things cool, keep a bit of airflow, and, and that helps with the longevity of these chips as well. So I'm all for it. So long as you're not ripping apart perfectly good Amigas to make these things, there are plenty of A500 pluses that have spewed their guts up to work on with these things. Um, another one I like is called the Amy ITX. That is a, a mini ITX form factor Amiga. So ideal if you want a super, super compact Amiga. When you look at this board, the chips are really close together on this thing. Um, they're all crammed in there, all the original custom chips. So that's another option if you want super small. And I noticed on last week's YouTube video, uh, Tim D left a comment and he said, I'm sure you already know, but the A3000 Plus, so this was a system we were talking about um, in relation to Dave Haney's story last week. He said the A3000 Plus became a reality only recently in the form of the AA3000 Plus, an A3000 mainboard featuring AGA and the DSP. They even got the DSP working. Um, so thank you, Tim, for making us aware of that. And I did a little search, and you can you can find on um, AmiBay, I think it is, on the forums there, there was a user who first posted about this, his project. I think his username is He's or Heezy, H-E-S-E. Um, he's based in Finland and he posted in 2019, here's my project that I'm working on and explained it all. So going back a few years, that, that became a reality as well. Of course, there's no software to run on it to take advantage of it, but you know that's not the point. Somebody wanted to make that a reality and they did. So there are so many options to try these things out in different form factors or even systems that never came out in the first place in the in the case of the A3000+. plus. Now, Glenn's video was in two parts, and it totals an hour and a half. And you might assume that it's not heavily edited. It's just lots of just watching him do stuff. But it actually is heavily edited. I, I've sat happily through each part of it without wanting to stop. Um, Glenn's put enormous effort into talking about why he's doing it, how he's doing it, what his plans are, what the benefits are of this. And he's edited it really well, so it's a thoroughly good watch. Um, I've been watching his channel for a while now, but I, I like how he does things, and I like his just his general manner. Um, but I think these these videos are a level above anything he's done before. He's obviously decided to do this. Other people have done the project. I know that my friend Pillock has done it, for example. But to do the project and to film it all and then to heavily edit it, it is incredible. So I, I would suggest you give it a watch. But it's not the only project that has a new board. There's loads of them. The ones I'm familiar with are Rob Taylor's, the one that uh, Neil mentioned already. And that's the one Neil did. And I've got three to do, and I hope to get around to them soon. Um, once I've got the place tidied up, I think I'll do them. I'm not going to start until the place is tidy because you need lots of space for it and lots of time. And not not uh, don't, I don't want to have to pack it away. So the first one I'm going to do is the 60 clone, which I've got here. I'm holding up a camera. It's a lovely red board with, um, Ooh, it looks like that. gold, the copper on it. Nice. Um, it's, a, it's a Commodore 64, and I, it's going to go in my bread bin. But the other one I've got here, apart from the 500++, is the Amstrad CPC 464. And it's a lovely blue one. And this one blue. is... That's lovely. Mm. This one is particularly special because if you look at the silt screening which I'm holding up to camera, and it probably won't focus. So I asked Duncan to put a picture on it. It's got my name on it. Oh, wow. Oh. I've got a credit on it. Special thanks to the brew, Velociraptor Dave and Noel Lopez, uh, because cool. I, I gave 
I, I desoldered the board and sent the, the chips and so on into to, to Rob to do it. He did all the work. What he does is I think he's he, he sands it down and, and finds where all the traces are and then reconstructs it and tests it. Incredibly incredible process. Um, Chris, what do you think? I think it's fantastic, um, and especially um, uh, uh, CRG's video. Um, I'm actually, in all honesty, I'm, I'm part way through part two because um, I'm having to mm-hmm. take it in chunks. Just got so much on at the moment, but it's just stunning work. And I just wish I had this level of skill when I first got into this. My plan was to re- rebuild a a twelve hundred, um, but I, I'm not going to touch it. Maybe in a couple of years when I've got my skills up, but not right now. But I totally agree with what you say there, Dave. In terms of it's not just the making of the A twelve A two thousand itself. Uh, you know that's an effort right there. But he's just gone that extra mile. And this is another level above his normal videos in terms of the production quality and the detail that he's gone to in this video. And it's just absolutely awesome to see. Yeah, loving it. The thing that's most rewarding about all these things is the build process. As Dave said, you've got to make the space for it. You've got to make the time for it. You've got to check your sold a few mixed director is uh, is working efficiently <clears throat> because um you're going to be desoldering and soldering a lot. But um, if you can set something like this up on your workbench over days or even weeks and just methodically come back to it, add some more components here, build it up slowly until the moment of truth, that first power on test, when it works, it's a superb feeling. It, uh, it really is great. Now, this all taps into something that I don't think we think much about now. Uh, and I think it's partly because when we got into micros, it kind of faded away. And that's back at the start of home micros. It was typical to build your own micro. You didn't usually just buy one off the shelf in the late 70s. So the apples and the various different machines that we don't talk much about now, um, they were often built from a kit. And in fact, if you go to the a really special one in UK history, that's the, the, the Sinclair ZX range, the ZX80 came in kit form, although you could pay extra to have it pre-assembled. So people would buy it in kit form and assemble it. I know, Neil, you've got one that was never assembled, which is quite uncommon in the cave. And I think the, the consensus was you to buy a modern kit and build one of those for a video uh, eventually. Um, and, and for a while... Um, that, that didn't continue. I mean, the Spectrum range started, they, they were all pre-assembled in, in Dundee, I think, um, or most of them in the Timex factory there. Uh, the Spectrum, though, is a really nice and simple machine, and these days you can, if you want to, build a Spectrum, which I think kind of ni- nicely takes it back to the start of the, the Sinclair ZX stuff, and the way in is something called a Harlequin which someone has um, worked out how the ULA, the, the, the ULA is the custom chip in the Spectrum, worked out how it works so you can do it now without a ULA. So that's a way to do it. Um, now, I've not got around to doing three things I've got to do, but I have built smaller things, smaller projects, I've fixed things. It's really, really rewarding. If you're going to have a machine for the rest of your life and you think you can do something yourself, you can build it yourself or even build some of the peripherals you use yourself, sold them up, it's super rewarding to be using something like that that you've done um so give it a shot or maybe think about it but in the meantime you can watch glenn's project and you can get a bit of enjoyment and fun from what he's done vicariously time now for our community question of the week and it's all about arcades so uh the question last week was let's talk arcades quite simply what is the first arcade machine you think of when you think of an arcade uh, the, the arcade venue is what we're talking about. So you walk in and uh, what's the first one that you made a beeline for to play on? Maybe it was the one with the loudest attract sound. 
maybe Robocop shouting in the background or the crashing noise of the OutRun car flipping over. You think of an arcade, you think of a game. What is it and why? So um, let's open up our Reddit and we'll see what the answers are here. Hopefully we've all got them ordered in the same way because that sometimes catches us out. (laughs) (laughs) Loads of answers this week. Loads. Okay, so the one at the top for me is from Richard Shears. Is that the same for you guys? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. So Richard says, it was the largest machine in the room, but this was for very good reason. Uh, I would go at school lunch breaks along with three good friends, therefore with limited time. We would want to play a game we could all enjoy together. Oh, I think I know what this is going to be. Yes. He says, to give a hint as to this larger than normal arcade machine, because I'm not an assertive person, I would play as Valkyrie. The only real issue this would cause was back when kids were cruel and gender identity was something that would be ridiculed. <laughs> oh, poor Richard. But anyway, I digress. Yes, the game of choice was indeed Gauntlet. I can still hear the cries of anguish from Andy as the machine played Elf Needs Food Badly, just as Dan playing Thor would shoot the food. As a side note, however, Don't I fear the most food. <laughs> I fear the most money that passed through my hands into the arcade was caused by the sit-down version of Afterburner. That adrenaline rush as you performed the role and the hydraulics attempted to reproduce the movement had me hooked at one pound a shot. Wow. It was an expensive hit. Wow. Was that the R three sixty one then? I think that was where you it span you around. Um I, I I don't think I ever saw an R three sixty. Um, even at the Trocadero. I saw it on the telly, but I don't I, think I ever saw one in person. I thought I did. Uh, didn't G-Lock have a 360-degree rotating one? That's what I'm thinking of. When I'm, That's the same I, thing. I, wasn't it called G-Lock R360? Well, G-Lock was the follow-up to Afterburner, wasn't it? Um, essentially Afterburner 2, because it had cockpit view. So you had G-Lock Air Battle in 1990. Yeah. Um, and then R360... Yeah, G-Lock R360. Okay, so that came after Afterburner. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I played that at um, Lakeside, um, the, the shopping centre there. They had an arcade there. Um, yeah, it's the one time I played that. Dave's bouncing. What, what what do you have to say to us, Dave? Richard's answer was about Gauntlet. I think you're going off on a distraction there. <laughs> no, he's mentioned, he's mentioned Afterburner <laughs> as well. He did, he did mention Ga- Afterburner. Gauntlet. So, so we proceeded to talk about G-Lock instead. <laughs> okay, not- my memory of- is my... Is my favourite arcade machine is Gauntlet. <laughs> that tune you get for Gauntlet Two is 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 magnificent. Mm. Well, that's Gauntlet Two, Dave. We're not talking about Gauntlet Two. Which I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've done myself, haven't I? <laughs> Have you played the remake on the PS4? It's actually very good. Anyway, <laughs> no. Hang on, on, on Gauntlet, my my memories of Gauntlet are Butlin's Minehead. It was um, in the middle of a room which also had uh, Skate or Die, Outrun, mm. and one other i can't remember what the other was but you know oh indiana jones was there in the temple of doom so these were like top tier golden age arcades and i just have great memories of them interestingly though when we had the launch of the arcade we have gauntlet in the arcade the big gauntlet machine but all those hardcore uh gauntlet (laughs) 2 Shall I just stop the story there? <laughs> we have Gauntlet 2 in the arcade and all of those hardcore game players that came down from the uh, UK VAC Arcade Collectors Club, mm-hmm. they didn't really touch it. They were all going for the high scores on the other machines. Hmm. And I can only right. assume that's because Gauntlet was designed as a coin muncher and not mm. a high score yeah. challenge Yeah, game. you just put a coin in whenever you need to and you have to do that to keep playing, yeah. yeah. So, um, I love it. I, I, I wonder. interested. 
I've always wondered, and that, that answers a question I've had for a long time, I've always wondered about Gauntlet and Gauntlet 2, whether a really skilled player could go for a long time on it. And from what you're saying there, doesn't sound like it. Mm. Hmm. We'll have to look into that. I wouldn't like to say definitively, but yeah. Oh. Yeah, I, I would like to know. I would like to know a, a proper answer to that. Maybe Alex can tell us. But if you if you go up to Gauntlet and you put twenty pence in, can you go for a long length of time, or do you just have to keep paying? Is it, is it like a timer thing? You have to keep putting money in. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, who wants to take the second answer? Chris. So the next one is by MRE in JP. Early eighties. I was a youngling living off a base in Germany. My parents felt a children's bowling league would be a good way to stay connected. Back uh, back then, the bowling alley was the, the centre of entertainment on military bases. There were many arcades I love, and perhaps Gallagher is my number one. But my first arcade memories that stuck uh, with me dropping a quarter after quarter into ghosts and goblins, trying to get past the first or second levels. It was exceptionally hard for a young player like myself. What makes these memories permanent is that the game was accompanied by some MTV video uh, tape on repeat, in particular Genesis Land of Confusion. (laughs) Imagine that in the background while you're playing that, Um, which which (laughs) bordered on the terrifying. Something about those puppets creeped me out way more than the monsters I was trying to defeat in the game. Uh, Ghosts and Goblins and Land of Confusion are forever permanently linked. They are one in my mind. That opens up an interesting future topic, I think, where sometimes you listen to certain music while playing a certain game. That's all yeah. I'll say on that. Mm. That is actually a fascinating topic. Yeah. yeah, that would be a good question, maybe. Yeah, mm. yeah. But um, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to correct MRE and JP. It would have been Deutschmark after Deutschmark. Not quarter after quarter going into those machines on a German airbase, unless it was an American well, airbase and everything was well, in uh, American. Yeah, it might have been. Might have been. It would be. Yeah. It would be one of the the the, the, the British or American airbases there, and I'm pretty sure they might be using quarters. They might have so, been. Yeah, you think they would have just maybe, kept? Maybe maybe wind your neck in a bit. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> How's your hangover going? going? How's your hangover going? (laughs) (laughs) I'm crab it now. (laughs) I think Dave is probably right, but if anyone was on an an airbase in Germany in the 80s, let us know. Did you use the local currency or your freedom dollars to uh, to play your arcade games? I guess everything would have been flown over, so they would have they would have just taken the arcade games over with them, so they would have been US ones. Maybe don't know. Hmm. Maybe. Okay. Next um, is Chris. Tech Made It Easy. Sorry, Dave. No, Chris yeah. is not getting two. Yeah. <laughs> we used to have a third host. What was his name? Chris. <laughs> oh. He was Australian. We kept, once we found out he was lying about being Australian, we, we booted him out. <laughs> the Simpsons. <laughs> Tech Made Easy UK says the Simpsons arcade machine. Arcade cabinet, he says, sorry, with up to four players. One of my earliest memories, yes, I'm quite young for retro, was playing this with my sister at a Butlins Holly Park when oh, I was about eight or nine. My first real experience of any form of arcade machine. I grew up in a small market town which simply didn't have an arcade, so it's an experience I never had. A while later, I remember spending way more than was acceptable in a virtual fighter, Virtua Fighter arcade machine randomly placed in a Spanish airport somewhere. I think airport arcade machines were greedier than normal arcade machines. I'm sure they did everything. Oh, every, they could to get everything's more money. greedier at an airport, isn't it? Everything. Oh, aye. It's yeah. awful. <laughs> I think my parents just wanted half an hour's peace and gave me all their leftover change. 
There you go. And and um, Frosty Cheesecake replied to that saying, I also grew up in a small town, but that Simpsons machine seemed ubiquitous in the 90s regardless. It was it was everywhere. It was in my local arcade. I remember when it appeared, I used to like watching the uh, recreation of the TV show's intro with the Simpsons title appearing and the digitized uh, version of the soundtrack where it goes, The Simpsons, and appears through the clouds. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. It's like, wow, this is like watching the cartoon at the time. But I never really played the game. I wasn't really interested in the game itself. Is it? Is it the same hardware as uh, as Turtles? Probably. I want to say yes. Um, similar looking cabinet. Uh, maybe there was a conversion kit for it. Mm. Um, similar sized sprites and everything. It feels like it should be. If it isn't, something to look into. Yeah. The other big four player one the- that you, you would have had in that row would have been NBA mm-hmm. Jam, which is different hardware again mm. um yeah can't think of any other big four player ones there's there. a lot of three players the capcom cap, the yeah. capcom ones are particularly ones that i like with three players mm. mm-hmm. and then um, you had things like um uh, you had the racing games like super sprint or championship sprint which were three player but you also had hot rod which was a sit down four player cocktail with a steering wheel on each corner mm. that was great fun You'd, i didn't see that often but we were lucky enough to have one of those yeah, there you go. There's another topic for discussion, Chris. Four-player arcade games. Mm, nice. Yeah. Shall we read out the names of the arcade games that other people have submitted for the ones sure. we're not going to read out? Time go Crisis. We've got Time <laughs> Crisis, Ghosts and Goblins. We have Pinball. We have uh, Racing Cabinet Games. We have Choplifter, yeah. Sega St- Rally, R-Type, Galaga, Championship Sprint. gets a mention. Did you ever have a Stun Runner at your arcade? That was an impressive cabinet. I remember nope. seeing it. No, that was an Atari cabinet. I think it was based on the hard driving hardware, 3D tunnel running. Yeah, um, yeah that was quite good fun. Um, what else have we got there? You've mentioned Sega Rally. Um, Bubble Bobble. Sinister. There's a lot of answers oh, on this Star Wars sit-down cabinet. Did the Star Wars sit-down cabinet have a track sounds? I can't remember. Uh, I think they all I'm did. I'm sure it they? did. Most of them did. Um, Final yeah, Fight is mentioned. Cruising USA. Oh, there zone. are so many. I think this might be our most answered question of the week ever. Outrun, hang on. Arkanoid. Gallagher. Yeah, loads, loads. Nice. Fantastic. Well, thank you, everyone, thank for participating. You, thank you. Um, so it's time for this week's question of the week. And if you'd like to take part, head over to reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro, where you will see the latest show and the question of the week pinned so you can participate. You can also submit your news stories for us to consider talking about in future shows. So it's time for this week's question of the week, and it's a special one because it involves props from at least two thirds of the crew. <laughs> Chris, what's the what's the question? Yeah, this may have accidentally been my brainchild. Actually, um, we'll see if it works. But basically, we've each got something from our collections wrapped up for Christmas. Okay, so the question of the week is to simply guess what each of us has wrapped up. And so we'll describe them each in turn. And, you know, for anybody watching on YouTube, we'll show the package. Well, at least me and Dave will because Neil didn't do his homework. Okay, this is this um, is not video specific. We've got to give no, as many clues exactly, as possible. Yeah. Exactly. So we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll describe what the package looks like, uh, but we'll also give a clue. Um, and you have to try and guess what each of our packages is. And we don't even know ourselves. Well, obviously, I know what I've wrapped up. Dave knows what he's wrapped up, but we don't know each other's. Neil? Okay, so um, so first of all, we're going to go for Dave for this new game on the show, which we call Describe Your Package. <laughs> yeah, so mine is small and thin. 
And if you shake it, you can hear a bit of a rattle. <laughs> it's wrapped. I've wrapped it in, in brown paper, which reminds me to ask, did you hear what happened to the brown paper cowboy? No. Go on. He was arrested for rustling. Yeah. Um, my, my package is about the size of a double cassette box, mm. which might be a clue there. Now, here's the clue. My, my, my present to myself is the second part of something that I had as a kid. I had the first part, but not the second part, and I would have loved it if I had it. Everyone will have heard about this, this famous franchise outside of gaming. It's a famous franchise, and I've talked about the past about playing part one. So what would I have given myself part two of in this brown paper wrapped package the size of a double cassette box? Are these staying wrapped up until the next recording so we can unwrap them? Yes, we've got a guest on next week. And the guest next week will take a guess and we will unwrap and see if anyone got it right from the submitted answers. Okay, so that's Dave. Neil. Chris. No, let's get let's go to Chris. Chris we'll go to me. describe. We'll go to me. Hang on, I've got to lead you in, Chris. I've got to lead you in. Oh. Just, you've got to keep the tension and the yeah, excitement. Let's do okay. it. Chris, describe your package. Right. So my package is about the size of a hand, I guess. Yep. Uh, my package is tapered and it's about two inches deep at the thickest part. Um it would usually have a long bit. <laughs> But that's <laughs> so childish. What are you doing, Chris? It would, it would usually have a long bit, but that's tucked away and caged up inside the package. That's how I wrapped oh, it up. Chris, it's not getting better. Um, and and my extra clue. Okay, I'm going to actually quote Total Recall. My clue is, "Baby, you make me wish I had three hands." <laughs> Neil. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Chris. Your package? What are you doing? <laughs> Tell us about your package. So, Duncan, if you're watching on video, Duncan is going to have to edit in uh, a picture of my package because I couldn't fit it onto the onto the web camera here, <laughs> recording here. So, mine is about. <laughs> no, my <laughs> mine is about the size of a video game box. It smells like a video game box. It tastes like a video game box. <laughs> But when I shake it, it makes a sound like this. Uh, let me let me just give you the sound of my package one more time. That'll be easy for some, impossible for others. That's my package. So thank you everyone for playing. Um, what did we call this? <laughs> my Christmas package. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we look forward to revealing our packages in next week's show. As always, final show of the year. <laughs> oh, the final show of the year. What's the plan, Dave, for the rest of the year? So we have one more show, and then we will have a couple of episodes where we've got our outtakes compiled. Thank you, Duncan. So you'll get outtakes for the two weeks that we're not here so that at least you've got something to giggle at on a Saturday morning. Excellent. So we've got another another. Does that mean that our next episode comes out on Christmas Day? Our next episode comes out on the 24th, Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. Lovely. Excellent. So we'll have to make sure it's super Perfect Christmas timing for the Christmas episode. Great. Yeah. As always, thank you to everyone for listening. We'll see you over on the subreddit or in the comments. And uh, we look forward to next week's show. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. 
This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agima, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.